Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. To bring you Shirley S. from Marietta. Hi, my name is Shirley S. and I'm a sexaholic. Hi. I'm as powerless over lust today as I was when I came into this program. Thank you. When I came into this program um, five and a half years ago. Powerless today. And so in order to start my qualifying, I need to tell you where I am right now. Um, I'm powerless over my lust to pride. That's been my bugaboo. Um, when Neil called me and asked me to speak, um, I said, oh yeah, sure. And I sounded very businesslike, and I wrote down what I was supposed to do. I hung up the phone, and my heart was pounding. Now that, for a sexaholic, is a danger sign. And thoughts kept flooding into my mind about all the things that I would say. Okay? Not the things that God would want you guys to hear, but the things that I would say. And I've been surrendering that. And it got so bad that night that I was having a hard time sleeping. And thank you, God, one of my sponsees called me. And I'm so grateful because I think she helped me a lot more than I helped her. I should have paid for the phone call. But, uh, you know, I surrendered it. Not just to God, but to her. And it was lifted. But that's a miracle. When something like that is lifted. Now yes, it kept coming back. Every time I think about it, it came back. It came back this morning when I was trying to meditate. It came back while we were listening to a wonderful lesson on speaker. There were times when I missed a couple of sentences because I was off. You know. Off in lust. Lust for what I would say. So you need to know where I am at this point because I'm a sexaholic and I'm powerless over lust. Anything I say might be true for me. It's not true for everybody. It's the best I can do with where I am. But I surrender that to God and to you because I don't want to talk to you out of my disease. My disease started very, very young. And it's funny because it started in about the same place it is now. It started with not feeling good about myself. And when I didn't feel good about myself, the only way I found out when I was little to make myself feel better was that if I could make myself feel better than someone else, then that would bring me up to good enough. I had to be better than to be good enough. 
because I was down here. That hasn't changed. I still have that stuff in me. I'm still working on that same stuff. It's funny, the, the stuff from when we're little is sort of the last stuff we get to. But my lust progressed. And as I grew up, I started um, fantasizing. Constant fantasy. Now, I've, I've read in the white book, and I hope I don't quote it wrong, but that lust seems to be a screen of self-indulgent fantasy separating me from reality. Now, that's what the author of the white book said of his experience. I can tell you my experience is identical. It's not sexual. It's not food if you're an overeater. It's wanting that thing to become something more. A screen of self-indulgent fantasy separating me from reality. The only antidote I know is to get into reality. But I wasn't in reality for most of my life. And by the time that I realized that I had some kind of a problem, that fantasy life had started to seep into my reality. I was still in fantasy, but I was acting out in reality. And my story is similar to a lot of yours. The details may be a little bit different here and there. I'm a woman. I was a little more subtle in some of the forms of my addiction. Doesn't mean it wasn't there. But the important thing is that a long time before I came into this program, I qualified. Um, promiscuity, uh, dependency relationships, and more fantasy, sex with self, this constant barrage of wanting the world to be different, romance, all of that kind of stuff. I didn't get into program 20 years or 25 years ago because I thought I could control it. And I tried for a lot of years to control it. I tried not acting out with other people, just acting out with myself and being in fantasy. It was difficult, but I was trying to walk that narrow line of doing the right thing. I really wanted to do the right thing. You know, who wants to be a sexaholic? I don't. I am a sexaholic, but I didn't want to be. Finally, um, when my life seemed to be all under control, it burst out in a new way. I was married to a wonderful man. I had two wonderful children. I had every, every reason for my life to be going well. And I went to basketball games with my husband because I wanted to be a good wife. I wanted to be supportive. And I got bored. And I started watching the high school boys instead of the game. And I started fantasizing about the high school boys. Now, maybe that's okay for normal people. But for a sexaholic, it's not okay. Because the next thing that I was doing was thinking a lot about them. I was having sex with self while I was thinking about them. 
And I finally came to realize in a moment of clarity, which I can only thank God for, that I was making plans, plans to molest a teenager. That's what was going on inside. Now, mind you, I hadn't done anything inappropriate. Nobody would have seen it. It was all happening in here. You see, I wasn't acting out. I was acting in. That's what got me into program. That's what scared me enough to realize that if I was acting in, I would eventually act out and really hurt somebody and really hurt myself. I mean, what good could I do to my husband and kids if I was in prison? That's what brought me into program. What good would I do myself? So, I found SA. I was actually looking for an easier, softer way. I'd read the SLAA book, and it sounded a little familiar, and I tried to find them, but you know what? Thank you, Southern California, for having those white pages and having those directories and having information with your number. That's the one I found. They said, well, we don't have this other one, but how about essay? I said, fine, give me anything. I got a recording. The recording told me where there was an information meeting. It even said you can leave a message, but I wasn't about to leave a message. The reason that my sobriety date is the 4th of July is because I had a day off on the 4th of July, and so I could go to a meeting on the 3rd of July. And I count my sobriety date the 4th of July because I had to have sex with self to get courage enough to go to the meeting. That's how addicted I was. And I didn't really realize that was a problem. I got to the meeting and they said, that's something that we don't do. And I said, oh, that's different. <laughs> but you see, how could I have known that that works? I'd never been without that. So I thought, well, okay. I'm desperate. These people must know. I thought what I needed was just to stop the thinking. But the physical acting out was part of the thinking. And the thinking was part of the thinking, which meant that for the first time in maybe since I was five or, five or so, I had to live in the real world. And I felt like a five-year-old. I could not be in fantasy. It was not safe. And so sobriety for me included not being in my head. Now, when you haven't been in reality and you're in a 40-some-year-old body and you have to go to work every day and you have to cook breakfast and you have to do those kinds of things, and you're a five-year-old, you know, having to do reality, it's very, very frightening, especially when you have this onslaught of stuff trying to get in your head constantly. It was frightening. But I did it. I did it because I was desperate. And I also did it because in my first information meeting that I went to, and by the way, this was in a mental institution with cockroaches in the bathroom and it was all men. And I was home. I was home. <laughs> Sounds like somebody identifies. They gave me a woman's phone number. 
And they said, call her. And I said, okay. And they said, no, call her. Call her tonight. And I said, okay. Well, I didn't call her that night, but I called her the next day. And, you know, the thing that, that helped me was that she gave me all this stuff to do. And I thought that was a lot of stuff to do. I mean, she talked to me about writing my whole first step out. And she talked to me about, goodness, listening to tapes, reading not just in one book, but in three different books, and journaling and calling her every day at 5.30 in the morning. And I thought, well, this is excessive. You know, I, I don't need this. Well, for those of you who have ever gone through withdrawal, you need it. And I needed it. In the first couple of weeks of my sobriety, I, they didn't sleep much. In the first month of my sobriety, I gained eight pounds. I don't know if anybody else noticed this. I told my sponsor about it. I'll have to ask my husband if he noticed because I was going nuts. Because I've never lived in reality. And so, now when I say I'm powerless over lust, that's because lust separates me from reality. The forms of lust that that I had to deal with were, first of all, sexual lust. I mean, you know, wanting to think and drink and look and all of those kinds of things. Lust for food, obviously, I had to deal with that right away, too. Because that was the next medicine that came by. And then there was lust for work. I couldn't take any time off for a long time because downtime means you're in your head. And so I worked a lot of, always busy, 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 you know, always doing something. I couldn't really be comfortable just sitting. Oh goodness, there were a lot of them. Um, lust for um, negative attitudes towards others. You know, wanting wanting to find fault with others so I wouldn't have to look at myself. We all have that. You know, that's part of our disease. At least I know I do. Um, but all of those different lusts, one one at a time. Thank God, not all at once. But one at a time, I had to absolutely surrender each one. Absolutely surrender. And the reason I had to absolutely surrender is because I have an absolute disease. This disease absolutely wants to kill me. And I am only one thought away from a drunk. I don't kid myself anymore. I'm one thought away from a drunk. That's all it takes to elicit the compulsion. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not just going to go out and bless now. Don't worry. But it means that when those thoughts come in, I can't play with them. I can't entertain them. That means when I have a bad attitude towards somebody, I can't play with it all day. I have to let it go because it's toxic for me. I'm allergic to lust. I've got a, a toxicity in my system. You know, it's, it's like an alcoholic who says, well, how many drinks can I have before I know that I'm going to kill myself with this? When do I stop drinking? You know, do you stop drinking after the first drink? Do you stop drinking before the drink that finally 
you know, uh, ruptures your liver. No, you start drinking or you stop drinking before the first drink. That's what an alcoholic has to do. And for me, the first drink is to play with that thought. And so, you know, my, my people that go to my meetings are used to hearing me do my, my steps over everything. And they may think, you know, well, she probably doesn't have a problem with lust. The heck I don't. It's just that I have a problem with every aspect of lust. Sexual lust is only one aspect of my disease. And it's the other aspects that are the first drink that get me going on the sexual lust that will kill me. The sexual lust is the part that I know is lethal. But I'm bodily and mentally different from those people that can play with a little resentment here or there. Because that will take me right into lust. And I can't play with pride. I can't stand in front of you, speaking to you, thinking that, good, I'm going to make them think that I'm better than. doesn't work. Because that's not reality. The reality is that you have to know who I am on the inside. I can't put the bravado front up and impress people anymore. Because the next thing I'm going to want to do is I'm going to want to go to sexual lust. You know, I was reading in this book that was uh, written in the 4th century by these spiritual people. Um, And in it, they wrote about pride as being the most insidious form of problems that they were having. And they said the next thing to go was chastity. They knew back then, and they were normies, I guess, or maybe they were like us, I don't know. But that's what it is for me. That's the next thing that'll go. And the wonderful, wonderful reality of this is that I am powerless, and that there's a power greater than myself that can handle all of it. I don't have to carry any of this stuff. I didn't have to carry my lust for you thinking I would speak okay because I have a higher power that carries that because I can't handle it. And when I was able to surrender that, thank goodness my sponsee called, it was gone. You know, that's that's the beauty of this program. And if I have to surrender 50 times an hour, I don't care because it is lifted. It just means that I'm having a hard time surrendering. That's okay. But the power's there. And so I make an absolute surrender, and then I'm free. And the other part of the good news is that more stuff keeps coming up. Every time I think I've got this handled, something else comes up. Because it's a process. It's a lifetime process of getting closer in my connection to my higher power. And let's face it, I wouldn't have done that process if I didn't have to. I mean, who's going to go through the work who needs God when I've got, you know, everything's going fine? Well, I thank God that everything's not going fine. I thank God for the process because it's made it possible for me to have a real connection. I didn't have that when I was a little kid. I didn't have that. I didn't have any good feelings. But I have them now. I can connect with you 
on the same level. And I can connect with God. And my understanding of God is going to change. It's going to grow. I don't have to be stuck in that either. So I'm just very grateful that you're here. Enjoy the rest of the weekend and enjoy each other. You're a wonderful group of people. Thanks. to thank you for listening to this episode of the daily reprieve the best source for experience strength and hope for sa members please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes please show your support by donating to the daily reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking donate now Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.